give a warm welcome to Probably Science. Well, look at this decidedly civilized setting. Yes. How lovely. We're just on a nice, le- uh, well-worn leather couch here at the commune. Yep. Final show of listening. We're, uh, we're sitting substantially lower than any of the audience. I think that's so always what strange. they say in showbiz, always be sinking almost into the ground. <laughs> and uh, I hope you're enjoying the top of my head. Yeah, I guess a tiny bit more of mine, but... Um, yeah. We just found Andy out has a massive head. I, didn't massive re- I found head. out recently how big Andy's head is. It's a... Uh, like, it, it's a family thing. You've the got a scale whole... doesn't even go... Yeah, I don't, I don't have a hat size. It doesn't exist. My dad had to wear a football helmet in high school. They cut it down the middle and added a section to it. <laughs> Not even kidding. And my, my poor mother. Um, yeah, like... <laughs> <laughs> my brothers and I were all 10 pounds at birth. So, yeah, it's, and most of that was head, I think. <laughs> we were somewhere a couple of... Uh, a week or so ago where someone gave us, like, these free swag for a brewery. And they had these baseball hats, and Andy was like, I can't, this won't, won't work on me. There doesn't exist a baseball hat that will fit on my head. And yeah, and they were like, uh, it's adjustable. And Andy's like, not adjustable enough. Nope. There is no... There's a limit to adjustment, yeah. We also found a, a unique thing about your physiology today when we were at the Oregon Museum of Science and Industry. Oh, yeah, I'm, uh, I have very cold hands. Yeah, we, we went on a little science... We're on a little excursion today, thanks to Travel Portland. They hooked us up at this festival. Yes. So, uh, yeah. But how many of you been, have you been to OMSI? I'm assuming every Portlander has been to OMSI at some point. We also, um, I, went, I went with my girlfriend to the, to the Japanese garden as well. But uh, Andy didn't want to... Didn't want to? I thought I was busy. <laughs> yeah, uh, you know, I thought it would be nice the three of us to wander around there and have a little time. But, uh... <laughs> Sorry. No, Sorry. then we, we went to the Science Museum, which was definitely... De- definitely more of a kid's science museum yeah, than I was expecting. Yeah. There is definitely... It's not really made for our age group. There were like, a lot of parents who were like holding their kids a little closer when we were nearby. Yeah. <laughs> Why are there unaccompanied adults in this thing? You know, you know those, uh, you know those bits in other science museums that like this is the bit where kids can play. It's that the museum. So uh, <laughs> the whole building is that. It's a lot of fun. But there, there was an infrared camera that showed heat, and we both stood in front of it, and Matt's nose went invisible. You... My nose and my hands don't show up. That can't uh, be healthy. Is that a sign of something? I don't know. It probably is. Listeners, I, what, what does that mean if my hands... Because I've always thought I have bad circulation and cold hands, but I, just to have it confirmed by infrared camera, <laughs> where like Andy and Holly's together, hands were both couldn't... like just the like, bright yellowy white, and my <laughs> hands were just like, oh, I have ghost hands. <laughs> And my nose apparently is dead. That should cons- you should never climb Mount Everest because you will lose it. I'm sure. Yeah. That's uh, just someone idea. popped up and oh, there hasn't been a nose here in over 15 years. <laughs> I I heard talk of a nose back in the day, but no, it's uh. So Amzi, what else have we done this weekend? Um, yeah, we I've been here since we both have been here since Friday, where we came straight from Australia, where we were for two weeks, and yep. this this jet lag is really throwing me. This east uh, every. Nap or sleep I've woken up from for the last week, I've jolted up out of bed literally and screamed, Where am I? What's happening? <laughs> I my body is so shaken to the core right now. We should uh, point out that we've been doing some fun pranks on Andy where <laughs> every night we put a sack over his head and take him to a different warehouse. But it, you know, it's, I read somewhere that that's the best way to get over jet lag. So that, that, that's what they say in the manuals. Like, uh, plan your meal time so don't eat when it should be nighttime in your destination. That's one of the things they say. Uh, set your 
watch immediately to your destination time as well. That's another thing. And then Kill- melatonin tablets. Melatonin. And then fake kidnappings. kidnappings. The four things that the, the doctors say it really helps with your circadian rhythm and everything. It's just, yes, you should be spirited away into a windowless van. Yeah, it didn't say anything about whether you should do the beatings, but we thought we'd just, <laughs> what the fuck? We Why should not? do it anyway. Sure. Just a couple of punishment beatings just to show we mean business. But you're handling your jet lag pretty well, it seems like. You don't seem as thrown by it. I was, I was great yesterday. If you asked me yesterday, I was like, I nailed it in one afternoon, and I've beaten it, and then last night I didn't really sleep, and I feel like shit today. But, uh, you know, it's... I've but got... we're happy to be here. This is an amazing festival. Um, thanks again to everyone who put this on. This is, I can't believe it's the first year I have festival envy as a former festival producer. Um, yeah, just knocked it out of the park. It's been super fun. All the shows have been great, and um, I love being back in Portland, getting all the great food and uh, drink and... Now, there's a new reason to come to Portland for out-of-towners, uh, which is the topic of today's show. It's yeah. become quite the, uh, it, yeah, marijuana tourism, is that a thing? It's, uh, yeah, we got to talk about the science of weed and, and the things around that. And, uh, you know, this is a building that has housed some, well, let's just say criminals. <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> so we thought we'd bring on a, a comedian here in Portland who's very funny. He runs a weekly show at Mississippi Pizza called You're Welcome. Um, he may also be an enthusiast of today's topic. We will see. But please welcome to the stage the wonderful Marcus Coleman. Give it up for Marcus Coleman. Hey, Marcus. Hey. Yeah, yeah we were asking around like the local comics, and, and he's not as au fait with the scene as he once was. And there, multiple people said, yeah, you want to get Marcus for this episode. <laughs> yeah, I got typecast. Uh, <laughs> basically, like, I don't expect anybody here to have ever seen me do stand-up, but I've never mentioned smoking weed once. So they basically, just like he stinks a lot, so uh, <laughs> let him have it, I guess. I'm glad to be here. Thank you for having me. Uh, by the way, the ring pops, I was very offended by that. Uh, I was like, oh, I get it. Like, oh, I'm a stoner. And then I went one layer, and there were great Laffy Taffies, and I was happy again. So, <laughs> so easily, easily satisfied. Yeah, I guess we're past the era of, like, the easy pot jokes, right? I mean, like, now that it's commonplace, like, you know, all the shit from the 70s yeah. that would have been... Nobody's talking... People talk about doing Molly and poppers now. Like, if you want to <laughs> be edgy, you got to do poppers. Poppers? Like, that's just... I don't know, honestly. <laughs> I don't know the science behind it, but I think they make your butt loose. That's what I thought the purpose I, like, was. I, didn't, I, didn't, yeah, I, didn't. I was like, it's 5 p.m. I don't know how to say this to this nicely dressed crowd. <laughs> I was like, I, it's... it's that it makes your butt loose. Well, they, they're, they're, they're generally muscle relaxants, and one of those muscles happens to be the butt. If that's just a... So it relaxes everything? Yeah. It People only talk about the fun part? Specifically just okay. the butt, but... <laughs> okay. But it is, yeah, and, and they, get, they get, certainly in Britain, it's sold in sex shops as room deodorizer. Oh, right, right, air fresher, yeah. 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 Oh. Sort of like the whipped cream recharging. Yeah, a lot of people going to music for... festivals wanting to really have some well-whipped cream <laughs> on their hot beverages, I presume, and, and celebrate with some party balloons to decorate their whipped cream hot chocolate stand. I don't know how y'all get down in Australia, man, but there's a lot of jello and whipped cream at Bonnaroo. Like, there's, there's a lot of it, so you got to have a lot of whipped cream canisters on <laughs> yeah. at all times. There's a whole little graveyard. of I, I don't know how people really must like those drinks. <laughs> they do. They do. I like them. <laughs> So uh, we asked our guests this, regardless of who the guest is, before we get into anything else, what, if anything, is your background in science? doesn't have to be anything deep, but uh, even just the class you liked growing up. Or a class you hated. Uh, or some people are like, I used to blow stuff up in the woods with my friends. Or... 
Never did that. Uh, was, I, I took, uh, I got bumped up to chemistry when I was uh, a freshman because I was smart, but then I never did any homework, so they bumped me back down. <laughs> uh, but I was real, I was like, oh, y'all, what y'all know about this chemistry, dog? Y'all doing that earth science? Uh, but I got dropped back down to earth science real fast. That's the closest thing I got to being good at science. That, that's still, and we've talked about this on the show before, but that, that still surprised, never, completely surprises me and shocks me the way America does science subjects in school where what, you just do where you just do like one science for a bit and then the next year you do a different science for a bit and then and forget the previous one over the course of the year. Well, how would how would you suggest doing it otherwise? Well, we we do, do a little bit of all of them simultaneously. Like throughout the year you'd have okay, you have a chemistry class once a week or twice a week and then you have a physics class once a week and a biology class once a right. week. Yeah, I guess it's weird because it's sort of applying that the last one you get to is the hardest yeah, and also you, by the time, if you want to go to university to study that subject, depending on which one it is, you haven't touched it for three years and don't remember anything. Right. Yeah, I think it went ninth grade in Michigan, at least, was earth science, 10th grade... Biology. Maybe. No? I don't know. 11th grade chemistry, 12th grade physics. It just, it just feels like if, if you had a class where, all right, we're going to do English this year, then right. next year is going to be mathematics, and then after that, PE. <laughs> <laughs> Can't start with and that. just over the course of the year, like uh, two years later, you're fit but can't read, and then. <laughs> yeah, it's a, I, I never thought about it until right now. But we have, I mean, the American system is also based on all these crazy things. Like, I guess the reason there's a summer break is because people used to think that ch- children's minds, like fields, should be left fallow, and it's like completely <laughs> not true. Like, there are if you plant the same fields every year, the crops won't work, and they thought that like kids have to be left idle for two months out of the year. And it's I, a big part of why America's behind other, other countries that don't have I think we, we had pretty long summer holidays, but I didn't know that was the reason. That is yeah, a, it's, that, a, it's an agriculture-based... That seems yeah. like perfect sort of Victorian logic. It's, I don't know if that was the era, but that does seem like just someone goes, the child is like a field, and then everything else is just extrapolated from that. Like, assuming the child is like a field, which cannot be wrong, the following other things can be concluded. Well, I did a lot of summer school, so... <laughs> I don't really know what to tell you. I guess my field was always being... I don't know a word. I've, I've never worked in a field before. Uh, yeah, being you, farmed. You're think, I was thinking about various... You don't want to take that metaphor too far. Yeah, yeah I know. Cause I, I that said, child must be plowed. That's what I said. And, I was like, <laughs> and then I would have had to promise these nice people that that's not what I meant. Like I would have, and they wouldn't have believed me because they don't know me. I'm a stranger in a hoodie. Like they don't, they don't, why would you trust me? How to fertilize the child? No, okay, right. right. <laughs> so, marijuana. Um, <laughs> what is your relationship what, to it? What is it? <laughs> Tell us about this. I've read about Everything these. Everything. Yeah, Matt and I are both going to be some asking. It's a 1960s poetry book. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I don't know, man. Sometimes I like to smoke a little reefer, play a little saxophone. You know. <laughs> I, just, I just like to get. I've the, heard I just, that's one of the symptoms. I just, I just, I just like to play a little saxophone, man. What's, what's wrong with that? Y'all don't like trombone? Who the fuck don't like trombone? <laughs> That no, I, feel like, like, right I went. No, well, Goddamn! I hate my better blues. Okay. <laughs> it does uh, feel like 1950s war. Is your child playing the saxophone? <laughs> <laughs> Might be a symptom. Uh, yeah, I I, uh, I have a problem. I think some might say I didn't. I, I started smoking weed here as a high school student, and I haven't stopped. So there it is. I had some weed before I came in here. I wasn't sure if I was supposed to. I'd say you weren't not supposed to. Yeah, I don't think it was a requirement, but um, yeah, is, is it uh, a thing that you feel like you get productivity out of, comedy-wise? Is, it, is that a cliche that's not really... It doesn't... I was already, like, high 
when I started. No, so I'm just. So there's no this. control experiment, basically. Yeah, there's exactly. Like I don't know. I honestly, if I stopped and I just started speaking better, I'd be kind of. It's been like four years, and I've been high this whole time. And uh, if I found out I was better, if I stopped, I probably wouldn't. <laughs> I was like, you know what? I, I'm, all, I'm in this for the long haul. It's a marathon, not a sprint. I'll, I'll get better when the time is right. <laughs> okay. So it's not a thing you turn to for like sleepless nights or, or no, pains or anything. It's kinda, because I've gotten to the point now that like I, God, I feel like a nerd. I uh, I buy daytime weed, nighttime weed. Okay. Like I have my weed that I smoke in the night, and then I have my up. I need to send these emails out. Weed. <laughs> I don't have a day job. I just sit at home and send out emails. That's all I do. And did you find those strains just through uh, experimentation, if you will? Or was it uh, recommended by people for those? I asked the white ladies that are smiling the most at the dispensaries. They they got all the information, like the people who look like they want to be talked to. I'm like, how does this make you feel? And they tie their hair up, and they're like, all right. Uh, (laughs) Those ladies. I I go to them, and... uh, yeah, but, went, bud tenders is the word, right? Bud tenders, yeah, yeah. yeah. Like, bud tenders in hip neighborhoods. Uh, 82nd's a little different. <laughs> For I just moved off 82nd, and uh, I'm, 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 I'm down in the num- in the, the nicer area now. Nicer, it's the house, whatever. Point is, uh, the bud tenders are a lot nicer now and less in a rush, mm-hmm. I guess is the way to put it. And uh, I just asked them, like, how, and they always have, they take the samples home, they do their homework. They do their homework, yeah. They do their research. But there is a lot of uh, sort of hand-wavy pseudoscience behind this, even though it's now legal here. And, and back where we live, there are lots of uh, dispensaries that are just straight up recreational. Um, so is it about, should we bring out our next guest? I think it's about time we bring out our oh, experts. Yeah, we have an actual expert in this field who can dispel all these, all these myths we've been told about pot all these years. Um, she is the founder of Eminent Consulting, and she has a degree from Brown University in medicinal plant research. Uh, please welcome to the stage, Emma Chasen. Emma hey, Chasen, everybody. Thanks for making hey. this. Hey. Yes. Thanks for having me. I'm excited to hear you nice. get mad about false binaries in marijuana. Oh, I get really mad. I get really mad. I'm from New York, so I just I want to fight people online. And there's a lot of people online yeah. who have a lot of things to say that are wrong. Well, should, about we, weed? should we start from the beginning yes. before we get into the specifics of our week? Because let's start with how you ended up in this field. Yeah, so I, um, I went to Brown and I was like a stone cold sober girl, like super intense bitch basically. Um, and I joined an acapella group. And, uh, what that's was how the, it starts. That, is, that was the gateway. That was the gateway. I joined an acapella group and there was wait, this wait, like... Wait. What was the punny name of the acapella group? <laughs> the Harmonic Motion. Okay. Yeah. Science nerdy. Okay. Yeah, not, not super bad. Um, and there was this girl who, she was a junior, I was a freshman, she was so smart, and she smoked a ton of weed, and I really wanted to impress her, so one night, I was like, oh, can you like it, can you help me out, can you load a bowl for me, maybe I'll try it, and I tried it, and I didn't get high, but I pretended that I was high, I was like, oh my god, I really feel it, this is amazing, and basically since then, I have um, smoked every day and actually came to like really love it and that's why I kind of transitioned from just pre-med straight science into wanting to learn more about medicinal plants. Okay. Yeah. And, and you, 
were you frustrated at some point in your studies by not being allowed to do research? Oh, totally. Yeah, I, I petitioned the school to allow me to do my senior thesis on cannabis, and they didn't let me, so instead I chose oregano. And I was like, eh, fuck you, I'm going to learn about oregano then. Um, and uh, Did you still charge the same amount for it as you would have <laughs> um, Then I actually went on to do cancer research after I graduated, thinking that that was going to be my point of impact to kind of bring weed into the space, but also didn't work out that way. So eventually I was like, you know what, fuck it, I'm going to move to Portland. And I drove across the country and moved to Portland. And this is when we already had legal recreational pot here or just but it, it was right before so i i didn't actually know this it just the timing worked out really well i moved out here august 2015 and we opened up sales for 21 plus in october 2015 so but, but there was already medicinal yes before that for okay. yeah totally there has been a, a medical industry here for a while um but all the dispensaries were hiring so i got a job which our, our listeners from overseas might not know because it's all, I mean, it varies state by state. Firstly, the, the weird thing in America, every, laws like this vary state by state anyway. Right, so there are pl- places in America that it's, weed is still completely illegal. There are places where it's only illegal for medicinal use, legal for medicinal use, and there's places like Oregon and California now where it's complete, you can buy it from a shop. But yeah. it's still also illegal at the federal level, right. which is weird and concerning for someone like me who's in America on a visa and <laughs> Matt will be asking all questions on behalf of a friend today. Yeah. Yeah, I'm just curious about this this thing that I'm just hearing about today for the first time. Right. So uh, <laughs> but but also when it was just when it was legal from a medicinal point of view, there were you get your weed card from a real doctor who had a storefront on Venice Beach. Next like to a place that sold Bob Marley towels and stuff, yeah. Yeah. And then you tell him that you're anxious. <laughs> and then you get your card. But so now it's, it's totally legal. You were one of the aforementioned bud tenders? I was, yeah. I bud tended for a little while. I actually won Portland's Best Bud Tender oh, shit. of 2016, um, which was really fun. So I bud tended for like a few months, and then I became the manager of the shop where I was at. And I just noticed like a real lack of training, education. People didn't know anything. And that's when I kind of stepped down from my management role and decided to do more education in the space. Okay. Can I just, uh, I'll tell you what little quote-unquote knowledge I have on pot, and then you can tell me how it's complete bullshit? Please. From what I understand, as a person, again, who has heard from friends about this drug, uh, there are indicas, which are, like, in the couch. Like, that's the thing that, like, is, uh, it's a downer, right? Supposedly. There's sativas that are, like, uppers, and then there's hybrids of those. And that's the supposed taxonomy of these substances. Which is wrong. And it's completely yeah. wrong. Okay. Yeah. Um, it's what, it's like my main thing that I teach is called debunking the indica sativa myth where indica and sativa, they are species of cannabis um, that are only defined by the way the plant grows. So they actually have nothing to do with the way that it makes you feel. And right now, everything on the market currently is a hybrid. So it's been crossed so many times just through prohibition that there's no real true indica or true sativa on the market anymore. And so we shouldn't be looking to that dichotomy distinction. Instead, we have to look at the actual compounds that are in the plant that we are actually consuming that bind to our receptors that cause an effect. So then let's get into those compounds. What, what is in 
cannabis that actually has an effect on you? So it's mostly uh, cannabinoids and terpenes. That's like the data that we have right now that we can look to. So cannabinoids, I say they're kind of like the engine of the car. They like move the experience. So like THC and CBD, um, as well as a bunch of minor ones that will influence the experience as well. And then there are the terpenes, which are the aromatic compounds. They're in all plants, they give plants their smell, but they're like the steering wheel of the car. So they'll move it to like sedative or sexy or giggly or like trapped inside your mind kind of thing. So those things are psychoactive. They're not just changing the smell of the, those terpenes. Or, yes, yes, they are actually psychoactive and they do work with the cannabinoids to create the experience. So there's no real easy, or is it easy to take a strain and analyze it and see the percentage breakdown of all these psychoactive elements or is that pretty tough it's it's not too tough to me um but it's because i have a a degree in kind of looking at the compounds but it's easy to teach really if you kind of look it's like a puzzle and you can see okay there's thc so it will be more psychotropic it will create a high there's maybe some limonene which is found in citrus which interacts with our serotonin and dopamine so it could be giggly um the thing that's tricky about like predicting a true experience is that every single person is different so every single person has a unique endocannabinoid receptor system that um, will influence the way that they respond. So something that works for me may not work for you at all. So you're not, you're not really able to kind of like look at the spectrometer breakdown of a, of a leaf and go, okay, this is going to make you write poetry. Yeah, no, not yet. Okay. Not yet, but maybe one But day. you can at least, even though you don't know the effects, you can easily see what the percentage of all these compounds is with, with some kind of tool or what is the actual way of... of looking at what is in mm. the so, you know what I mean? Like what, what, yes. what instruments do you use? Yes. So every um, cannabis product in Oregon and in any regulated market has to go through analytical testing. So anytime a dispensary tries to buy a product, they have to receive a test. In Oregon, it's not required to do terpene testing, but a lot of growers do do it to try to differentiate themselves. Um, and so a dispensary will have the full cannabinoid profile, hopefully also the terpene profile. And then if you know how to read it, you you could kind of piece it together and make a prediction of how it should make somebody feel. Do you know what test they actually run to get those profiles? Yes, so it's um, mass spectrometry and gas chromatography. Oh. Yeah. Very sciencey. Very sciencey. <laughs> so you end up with this like side of a cereal box sort of list of various things that do different things, and then you're left to just start with someone else's experience as a guest and then just smoke it and see how you like it, I guess. Yeah, and that's what it comes down to most of the time. If you have an educated bud tender who can say, okay, there is some THC, a little bit of CBD, some CBG, some limonene, some beta-caryophyllene, it should make you feel uplifted and relaxed with no anxiety. Um, but ultimately, it's going to be totally up to you, so keep a journal and really track how it makes you feel and begin to like point out patterns in yourself for mm-hmm. what works for you. And then um, CBD, is that truly not psychoactive at all, or is that kind of a myth? Like we- that is a myth. So okay. psychoactivity is different from psychotropic activity. So psychoactivity is defined by any substance that binds to something in our brain. So like an SSRI a pharmaceutical that people take for anxiety and depression is psychoactive, but it doesn't make you feel high or intoxicated. So CBD is psychoactive, but it doesn't make you feel high in the same way that THC does. Because right. um, this was something we've discussed on the show before that a really stupid law was brought in in the UK that was the attempt was to basically 
cut, clamp down on designer drugs and people just sort of staying one step ahead of the regulation. Like they ban this and then they find a slightly different compound and they ban that. So they brought in this law that basically said anything psychoactive is now illegal. And, then they, and you go, well, well almost Caffeine. everything, every food you eat is psychoactive right. to some extent. Chocolate, and then even things like listening to music. Is psychoactive. <laughs> like the definition of psychoactive is just it affects brain receptors. Yep. And pretty much everything you come into contact with in every, in every one of your senses is to some degree psychoactive. <laughs> That's asinine. Right. Did they, did they not put I that I don't through? know what happened. I don't even know what the status is of that law, but I know they had to first, they wrote the law and then they had to write a whole load of exceptions that included like food, chocolate, alcohol, um, any legal drugs. Yeah, coffee. Um, uh, All the stuff Mormons can't do. Yeah. <laughs> and even stuff they can do. Just sugar, wheat, like just anything yeah. like that. They had to sort of add these exceptions, um, and it's still just... That was what... I think that was one of the things that Professor Nutt resigned over, who was the government science advisor, and he was the one who res- had to resign slash quit because he was wrote the- papers that said... Firstly, he went, this is ridiculous, it makes no sense, and he was also the one who wrote the paper about how um, ecstasy is safer than horse riding. Than horse then, riding? Is that yeah, like riding, riding a horse is more dangerous than taking well, MDMA. Well, sure, but I mean, by, by the definition of just how often you break your neck, yeah. Like that's, yeah. Right, yeah, but it was, it, uh, he had a, it was a paper that sort of ranked the various dangers of various drugs, you know, but again, statistically analyzed and professionally as a scientist. And, this but, makes me want to get off horse. Right. <laughs> should, I, should I quit horse? But that's a, that, it's, a very, it's a very government thing of just going like, we're going to use science to get the thing we want. And if it in any way suge- ends up not supporting the thing we want, we're going to fire the scientist. Right, yeah. Yep. I mean, the same could be said for drug legalization, which we've seen works in Portugal, but it doesn't mean suddenly everyone else is just doing that, which would make sense because now you have data and it shows that overdoses are down and things. Yeah, but you start from the assumption that this is bad yeah. and therefore everything has to be influenced by, you start with a conclusion and work back from there. Mm-hmm. So yeah, what, what is the current state of medical research now that it's a more legal substance but not federally legal? We are getting there, um, mostly because of efforts being done out in Israel, actually. So Israel is doing a lot of the work um, in terms of scientifically evaluating these compounds and how they work together. That's the really hard thing about cannabis research is that the way that we do it in America and in most of the world is you isolate a compound, you run a battery of tests on it, you draw conclusions, you package it into a pill, you sell it to people. Right, and this is what you used to do, used to work, we skipped over that a bit, but you used to work in the pharmaceutical industry before you... Yeah, so I worked in oncology research where we helped to coordinate uh, clinical oncology trials nationwide through the FDA, and it was Wild. I mean, we accepted like $60 billion pharmaceutical trial after pharmaceutical trial that was looking at one compound. We ran a battery of tests on it, um, draw conclusions, package it into a drug. Because cannabis works differently, um, it's like real power lies in all of the compounds working together. It's called the entourage or ensemble effect, where really like the, the medical efficacy of cannabis increases dramatically when you include all the compounds together. And Especially America turtle, just like... Right. Hmm? Sorry. We all thought it. <laughs> America just like fritzes out on that idea. Like we have no idea how to do that. Um, and so Israel is kind of leading the charge in that research and we are slowly but surely uncovering a lot um, a lot about the plant yeah what are the main things that you've seen uh, if not proven by American clinical trials like uh, medical uses that are surprising Mm. 
So we don't actually have much conclusive scientific evidence at all. So there are degrees of like how, how much you can rely on your scientific evidence. We have moderate evidence to suggest that cannabis can be good um, for like encouraging or increasing the remission rates for a variety of cancer. Um, we have fairly conclusive evidence that cannabis, some types of cannabis can be used for um, the management of like epileptic disorders and stuff like that. I'm really excited for the potential of um, digestive disorders as well as the potential for neuropathy and anxiety, depression, kind of like the whole, the whole gamut for it. And uh, the thing that's the coolest to me about what's coming out of Israel is they're designing products that also include other medicinal herbs with cannabis. So it's a really like holistic kind of plant medicine approach. Got digestive, uh, something that's gonna help with that. Is there, mm-hmm. you got a strain that's gonna help me be able to uh, drink milk? Yeah, yeah, exactly, <laughs> exactly. You got something that might help little, with that? A like, little tincture, yeah. yeah. No, no lactate, I can just mm-hmm. dab. Yep, <laughs> just dab, dab all <laughs> day and drink of cartons of milk. <laughs> <laughs> Down it, yep. Mm-hmm. Which, other, which other herbs and compounds are they thinking about? Combining with cannabis in Israel in these Israeli trials. Mm, so looking at um, like herbs and, and Ayurvedic herbs like ashwagandha, um, looking at chamomile and peppermint, um, looking at black pepper. A lot of these other herbs or or foods or plants have a lot of terpenes in them that are also found in cannabis. So it's a way to kind of elevate the concentration of terpenes in these products um, that, again, help to kind of influence and, and support the entourage effect. Okay. What are some of the biggest just misconceptions in the public in general about part of the pot business, I guess. Yeah, so I would say the, the biggest misconception on the business side is that it's a green rush, that like everybody's raking in a ton of money. Actually, nobody that I talk to is making any kind of money. Um, everybody is, is really like boots on the ground, struggling because of just the tax bracket and just the oversaturation of the market. Yeah. Um, there's a lot of weed that is not being bought. So you can go into a dispensary right now and buy like, $20 ounces, which is insane. I mean, typically it's over like $200 right. an ounce. Um, so that's that's one of the biggest misconceptions on the business side. As far as the science side, I mean, we're still dealing with shit like all cannabis can kill you. It's like, mm, no, it can't. It's actually never killed anybody. Um, and we know the scientific reason behind that. The compounds actually can't bind to the place on the brain that regulates our heart, our brain function, and our lungs. So it literally cannot shut that down. Oh. Yeah, yeah. And if it can make you pass out, isn't that related to... I guess that's not your heart. I mean, it could definitely kill you in terms of, like, making you drive into a tree. Well, yes, of course. That's... um, And and what is the research right now as far as... Like, I'm worried about, like... This isn't a podcast to go tell everybody to go smoke pot. Like, it's not for everybody, obviously. Well, well, yeah, I was thinking that when you sort of say, like, the the misconception all cannabis can kill you, the other misconception, I presume, is from the other side, is all cannabis can cure you of all things. Totally. And that's also just as destructive, in my opinion. Cannabis is not a cure-all at all. It's a medicinal plant, just like any other medicinal plant. It needs to be integrated in a kind of holistic modality. I mean, if you are eating like shit and you're really stressed emotionally, mentally, physically, um, it's it's not going to take away or take care of all of your problems. And so both sides of the argument are destructive. 
constructive uh, in terms of kind of moving forward with a more reasonable, rational approach and reducing the stigma. We have to be somewhere in the middle of that. But that also seems to be a problem that comes from having something be pro- struck with prohibition and restricted the, and the lack of legal scientific research into it, which just means that opens up huge gaps for bullshit to fill where you then see these long sort of screeds on websites that are written in Word and saved as a website, and they're just like, CBD will cure cancer, and this is what, and will cure all cancers, and there's no, and chemotherapy won't, and there's no treatment for cancer that works other than CBD, and your doctors are lying to you. Yeah, and that's wild. I mean, you're setting up people who are really sick with these, like, crazy expectations that they're going to buy a CBD tincture off of Amazon, which is just, like canola oil and there are like all of a sudden all their problems are going to be taken away from them and that is ridiculous but it is the part of this process of like shedding prohibition mentality where the pendulum is just like wildly swinging and hopefully eventually we come to somewhere in the middle what about that uh the, all those goofy cbd ipas oh yeah the cbd beers what is that is that just <laughs> is that just beer with olive oil in it <laughs> and that people have convinced themselves that they like because I, I call CBD placebo weed. I don't buy it. I think it's, I think it's a fucking sham. I think it's all a sham. Sorry. Yeah, no. That some of them are total elixirs. They just did this thing. I think NBC did it, where they sampled like a bunch of CBD products and actually took them through analytical testing to test for CBD. Not one of them came back with an actual like, CBD milligram potency that they have reported yeah. on the bottle. Is yeah. that including the actual, like, the, the CBD tinctures that you buy from the store, from the Oh, yeah. If you, if you buy it in a dispensary, it has to be tested. So okay. that's different. Yeah, but okay. if you buy it online, if you buy it in just, like, a regular retail shop, it does not have to be tested at all. So most of that is just shit. So is there, again, when we're talking about CBD, there's myth or fact, or I'm not sure yet... CBD has to have a certain amount of THC to be effective? So I believe that to be true, but okay. it's not a fact just yet. Um, and that references, again, kind of the entourage effect, that the way that CBD works in the body physiologically, it's actually quite a promiscuous compound, so it really gets around. It binds to a lot of things. And by um, the way, we're supportive of that on this podcast. Right. Very That's supportive. what we are telling you to do on this podcast. <laughs> yeah. We can't tell you to smoke weed, we can tell you to get around. Yeah. <laughs> we can, we can we won't be slut-shaming any compounds yeah, on this show. Just, here after, probably not. It's, it's why it's so powerful. It can interact with so many different things, but what it can't really interact with well is our endocannabinoid receptor system if THC isn't there. So THC has to be there to help CBD bind to our endocannabinoid receptors. And I think I've told this story on the podcast before, but my, my dad was having, I think, some back pain and finally gave in because someone he trusted said he should try this and and cbd did help it but whenever he tells the story he's always so quick to say but but there's no psychotropic effect it's like who cares if there is like why are you so afraid of that possibility you're saying it helped your back why would it also be awful if it made you want to watch some netflix or something (laughs) right exactly and that's still a huge stigma that we're dealing with i mean still the idea of like being high is so freaky to so many people right in a country where we all drink constantly exactly i assume everyone's like me i don't know (laughs) i felt a little conservative sitting here with you i was like i don't know in the world that i grew up in god made indica and sativa i don't know about (laughs) all these hybrids that's not the world that i grew up in like it's god made adam and fucking me it's windicur sativa not windicur 
So is, is it co- is it totally sativa. meaningless to even like use Indica sativa on labels now? Like. Th- I think it's still, I mean, it's still marketing. I'm also definitely not in the business of like telling people what they can and can't say or how they want to classify their weed, sure. From the perspective of somebody whose job it is to actually predict experience for people, that's where it's a disservice ultimately to the consumer to like go online and be like, ooh, grape ape is a true indica. This is going to make you fall asleep. And then that person takes it home and they're up all night, like thinking about something that happened in like eighth grade, you know? Um, And that's where it's like, okay, well, the the people, the bud tenders who have the job of making these predictions, they have to be better. The customer, yeah, call it whatever the fuck you want. I I ultimately don't care on that. But also, like you said earlier on the show, your mileage may vary. Like, even if you have a really good idea of what's in it and what effect it has on most people, you can still only say, this is what most people have reported it does to them. Exactly, yeah. This is a prediction. Go home, try it out, see how it makes you feel, write it down. If you hate it, come back, tell me, we'll try something else. Yeah. Like, I heard this analogy recently, and I was like, why did this never occur to me? Like, alcohol is alcohol is alcohol, but give the same two people five shots of it, and one becomes, like a huggy, I love all you guys person, the other one starts a fight. Right. So it's like Another person's like hysterically crying, right? right? Yeah. Yeah. But also, even with alcohol, I, don't, I, I honestly don't know if experiments have been done and whether it is just myth or there is some truth to where people go like, oh, gin makes me oh, do this, oh, or this yeah. is what I'm like when I'm whiskey drunk, or this is what I'm like when I'm beer drunk, or white wine drunk, or whatever. Yeah, there could be something to that. I, I haven't looked it up. It, that seems suspect to me, but like... It yeah. does seem suspect in that the ethanol is the thing doing right. most of the work, but again, every alcohol does have other chemical yeah. compounds in it, presumably that may or may not have an effect on your brain. I might be a sheep, but whiskey makes me want to fight, and gin makes me want to dance, so somebody, <laughs> somebody should do some research on that, because I, I can tell you from personal experience that whiskey does make me want to fight. I think that makes you, that makes you medically a bachelorette. <laughs> <laughs> I think I just got diagnosed. Uh, <laughs> probably. <laughs> oh, what I wanted to get into when it comes to safety and, and takeaways for listeners who are all, of all ages, um, what is the research as to effects on younger minds of pot? Mm. What should we be telling people of various ages about? Yeah, so THC, when used a lot um, in younger populations, does call what scientists say cognitive distortion. So it can cause anxiety, depression, as well as memory impairment. Um, and that's, that's real. Like We have documented evidence regarding that. Also, if you are prone to psychosis later in life, it could also trigger a psychotic episode um, in like mid-20s range. And so it's important that young people stay away from it. But the education around that should be like based in that reasonable, rational approach, right? It's not like, ooh, don't do pot because you're going to be a loser, you know, right, or, or you're right. going to die or something else is horrible is going to happen to you it's more like yeah it has a lot of medicinal value and potential but there is also some negative side effects especially when used um over a long period of time when you're young yeah like i uh i started smoking weed at 17 and then 23 i started doing stand-up comedy (laughs) (laughs) so kids don't smoke weed (laughs) don't smoke weed (laughs) so yeah what is what is the takeaway then like i mean obviously everything in moderation, but like, is there an age at which medical experts have agreed that there's less neuroplasticity, so fucking go crazy, uh, but before that, keep it away, like. 
Yeah, it's around like 22 to 25, all of the gray matter in your brain um, has mostly developed. So there is a less of that neuroplasticity and it doesn't or shouldn't cause as much of a negative effect later in life. Okay. So yeah, again, we're not trying to get any kids here to... St- <laughs> no, 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 please kids. Yeah. Wait until you're 21 and then you can legally purchase it from some states. Okay, well, we're talking about the arguments as well. There's the the argument that people make of the weed nowadays is substantially stronger mm-hmm. and more potentially dangerous to your brain than the weed 20, 30, 40 years ago. Totally. And that's, that's real. I mean, weed has been bred selectively for THC percentage because that's what the market thinks that it wants. But it's, it's insane the amount of THC that is coming out of some strains. I mean, I saw a report last week that was like 37% of THC. So it's 37% of this little nug is just THC. That's psychotic. Like that's in, that is absolutely insane. And yet the market thinks that that is quality. And I always make the analogy of like, you walk into a liquor store and go straight for the Everclear for like a nice night in with your boo. Like that's ridiculous. But that is also something that it seems to me, and it it could be bullshit, but that that seems like that's also a byproduct of prohibition because prohibition and during prohibition in America, alcohol prohibition in America, people would drink extremely strong bathtub gin because you just want to get fucked up and in and go blind yeah, 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 yeah. You wanna, yeah. yeah and, and also the more liquid you have to store to get that same amount of it the more chance you have of getting caught so you just have you have the strong shit whereas now it's legal and you get to choose oh I'll have a beer a 5% beer or a Exactly. 12% wine or whatever. Exactly. And that's where it's like the shedding of the prohibition again. Instead of like the hoarding mentality of like the biggest bang for my buck, just like the, the highest that I can get, quickest amount possible. Um, it, it is like, no, there's a dispensary on literally every corner in Portland. You'll be fine. Just like try out this 15%. You'll probably like it better. And you can always come back if you don't. And everyone's, if there are the economic problems you're saying with the businesses, you're pricing yourself out by you wouldn't have to buy as much of it if it's 37% either. So you're not going to make as much money because that ounce is going to last somebody two years because half a hit is going to put them out for the night. Mm-hmm. Right? Yeah, and, and even when we look at the science of the entourage effect, I mean, if you have 37% THC, you're sacrificing other compounds because you have to. It's pie chart. Um, whereas if you have something that's like 17 18% THC, you're going to have the other compounds in there, which actually make it more psychoactive. Because mm-hmm. those other compounds help the body to absorb the cannabinoids. And so there's also that argument, too, that like you may actually feel a lot higher with this 17% that has a lot of terpenes rather than this 37% that has no terpenes. Okay. Yeah. And uh, for people who can't find you directly to get advice on stuff, what are you allowed to plug online ref- resources that you think do do these things right? Yeah, totally. Um, so I actually have my own online program that people can take courses on weed. Um, it's at eminent.teachable.com. Project CBD is also a great online resource, not only for CBD information, but also for cannabis information in general. Um, so yeah, check those out for sure. Yeah, I, um, I have a friend who uh, went to... <laughs> One of the dispensaries that opened up recently in L.A. and that friend... Did he uh, go to the one that's nearest your house? It's kind of... <laughs> yeah, it's, it's, it's a close friend. It's a close friend. Yeah, yeah. 
and that yeah, that friend asked for specific things, and uh, the, that friend said that, that the things weren't weren't as promised. Um, and also, that friend can't go through like twenty dollars of pot. I, I can't. I'm not surprised at, at the business angle of this because like it, it takes that friend literally six months to go through twenty dollars worth of pot. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> He might be a lightweight, though. Um, <laughs> we should have him on the show sometime. I oh, yeah. <laughs> is, he the, is he the same friend that has that rash? <laughs> <laughs> exactly. <laughs> so um, are more people getting to do things like what you're doing um, in undergrad now? Is that becoming more... Like, did the legalities in states change the ability to do some of the studies that you couldn't do when you were in college? Slowly but surely. There are um, some schools that are now allowed to research cannabis. Um, they, they get like disgusting weed though. It's full of like shake and like five months old. I don't know. I can't think of good weed. I know, they can't. They, for whatever reason, because it's all tracked through the government. It has um, to go to specific, from specific farms. Yeah, yeah. And like specific packaging and, and yeah, this whole so straight thing again, process. When, when they study other drugs, like we've spoken to people on the show who've studied the effects of um, other like hard drugs, for want of a better term. Mm. But they get basically the pure stuff. Like if the you're best. studying, yeah, if you're studying heroin, the effect of heroin on the body, or MDMA or something like that, you get pretty much the pure compounds. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, you you get like some nasty shake. Um, but there's, there's a really amazing researcher who's doing a lot of work with cannabis and opioids um, and their kind of synergisms, Dr. Adi Poe as well. She's a great resource for specifically looking at the kind of like opioid effect and how cannabis can help with the opioid epidemic. Okay. As in to sort of replace a plant and reduce opioid addiction. Yes. Yes, exactly. Okay. For the record, who's this friend with that pure-ass MDMA you were just talking about? <laughs> Are we just going to skip over that? He's like, I know a dude who got some pretty, some, some pretty primo molly. And then just, uh, like, I like weed. Too. Can I come back for the molly episode? And we can... <laughs> I like that more. Did you ask like about that? Got, like they got gift bags or something? I got a reputation for comedy about that, too. Like, likes Molly, too. Uh, well, I yeah, feel like what, the what second you, you call it Molly, you get kicked out of the lab. Damn. Right. <laughs> and the, and, <laughs> he's like, I'm this not sure dude. he's the real postdoc that was meant to be arriving this afternoon. <laughs> he might have drawn that degree. <laughs> yeah, Emma, have you studied other psychoactive drugs or psychotropic drugs besides... Marijuana has just led to interest in other... Uh... I definitely have an interest in other psychotropic substances, but not formally studied them. Okay. Like, done experiments it's on done myself. Some, right, right. Yeah. Sure. <laughs> yes. I saved up and went to Coachella once. <laughs> <laughs> but I think the research that's coming out around, like, psilocybin and MDMA is so cool and fascinating, specifically the study that came out of Columbia around psilocybin, where... They um, worked with cancer patients who were in remission, but who, who still had this terrible anxiety and fear of dying, that it was going to come back. And they used psilocybin um, with kind of therapists, mm-hmm. and it actually rewired pathways in the brain. It actually like acted as a curative for anxiety, which Western medicine, we don't have. We just manage it um, through pharmaceuticals and other coping strategies. And so that is so cool and like off oh my god there's so much potential there and what you want to psilocybin is the active ingredient in mushrooms yes. magic mushrooms yes yeah I love looking up old videos of like early LSD tests when there would be dudes with clipboards in the room with the guy who's lying on the bed starting to get starting to trip and just describe it all and it's just this very 50s like <laughs> imagine being super hot tripping balls in a fucking doctor's right? office right 
Right? I don't, I don't know if I would love that. No. <laughs> But watch the videos. The guys are loving it, and they're describing what they're what they're seeing. And I know MDMA, uh, or I've heard MDMA was used early on as a treatment for PTSD and mm-hmm. for like couples therapy and stuff. Yes, yes right. Yeah. yeah, huge for couples therapy because it like it does create those connections, right? Sure. Cool. <laughs> Theoretically, one, <laughs> sure. Like, one could say maybe. <laughs> my, if I got to go do a tour in Afghanistan to come back for all that pure Molly, I might <laughs> fuck around go do a tour in Afghanistan. You know, might just, I don't know. My brother came back. He ain't tell me nothing about no Molly though. So. <laughs> Focused on this. So, uh, Marcus, how many different substances have you been on while on stage? Oh, not many, dog. I, I'm playing it up for the comedy. I'm, <laughs> I've done, I've done Molly once, on, but not. It wasn't on purpose. I, uh, <laughs> I, was, already, I was already on Molly when I showed up. Yeah, uh, and people show up and they're like, "Do you want to do five minutes?" And you know our egos, dog. It's like, yeah, I can do this. <laughs> it's like, can somebody put a fuzzy wrapper around that microphone? That'd be fucking great. Uh, uh, I've never done. And just weed, weed just and alcohol. Yeah, Molly one time. It's, it, was not, it's not, it wasn't the best. And I've yeah. never done coke on stage. Yeah. I've definitely never done it on stage, but I've also never done coke and then done comedy either. Uh, that is a very 80s specific thing, I think, right? I got a particular pace I like to talk at. And, uh, <laughs> I think that coke just might uh, step on my rhythm. <laughs> just might. Should have that as the anti coke ads. <laughs> it's like, fuck up your cool, dog. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Trying to fuck up your cool with that cocaine. <laughs> yeah, good this is like... your timing on drugs. <laughs> <laughs> Just you bombing somewhere. <laughs> he's normally funny. Yeah. I swear to God, he's normally good. Uh, your friend said to me, why pay so much for cocaine when it's completely free to just be an asshole? <laughs> you could just walk fast and sweat for free. You could just do that. Yeah, so um, are you guys both a little bit high, you said, right now? Or? I can't be high when I like do work or speak at all. It is only a thing for me that is like relaxation, fun times. Day. I feel like I get so weird. Like, I can't be around people I don't know. When you say you can't get high, does that mean you would never have any weed before doing something like this? Or you would specifically pick something that you know doesn't make you high? No, I just just wouldn't touch anything. Yeah. So you don't have, like, a drawer full of, like, these are the different uses of my... Yours is just end of day, the way someone would pour themselves a drink. It's, like, just... Yeah. Honestly, my... I have, like five drawers in my house that are just full of weed that people give me. Like, unmarked pre-rolls and bags and edibles and cartridges. And it's kind of like a fun thing where I just pick it out and, and try it out and see what happens for the night. And are you kind of like a weed celebrity in town if you show up at a dispensary? Are people trying to like show you their best strains? They yes, it's actually stuff? really fun. I went into a dispensary that I never had been in um, on the west side. My friends live on the west side. And I walked in like holding a baby kitten in a cat sling. And I was like, nobody's going to know me here. This won't be weird, <laughs> right? I'll be anonymous. And, and I walked and in and they also, were like... It's also worth pointing out for our listeners abroad or in other parts of America maybe that... Walking into a store with a kitten in a cat sling is not weird in Portland. <laughs> no, exactly, exactly. So I was like, this is fine. I'm anonymous. They won't know me. I walked in, they were like, oh my God, Emma Chasen? <gasps> Can I give you a tour? And I was like, 
yeah, sure. And they were like, can I pet your kitten? And I was like, sure. And it was actually a really, really sweet time. They gave me a discount. It was great. That's yeah. awesome. When Emma goes to a dispensary, it's kind of like that scene in Goodfellas where he walks through the back of the store. <laughs> she's just tipping everybody on the way to the front. She gets a nice table. The chef comes out. <laughs> Bring out the best. <laughs> uh, so where do you see uh, the industry heading? Like if you could look for like five years in, in the Portland cannabis industry, what do you, where do you picture it looking like? Mm. Ooh, that's a good question. Um, I think that Portland will be the hub of the craft cannabis industry globally, which is so cool. I mean, we've been the the craft hub for beer and wine and even now food, so why not cannabis? Um, And I imagine it'll be somewhat like wine, where, like, Southern Oregon and Oregon in general will be known for its, like, terroir in terms of cannabis, and and, um, I love that like I that's why I'm in Portland that's why I'm based in Portland um, for that kind of like craft approach that's awesome yeah do you like suggest pairings sure yeah yeah with like like with meals or experiences with DVD box sets (laughs) 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 it's like you've never seen Frasier dog hold on I think following compass. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, there are people who do that though with like food and and um not alcohol yet but like beverages, mm. you know. Yeah. Are there still there are laws in Oregon that separate the two? Like can you have alcohol and cannabis in the same building? No. No. No, no. That I know. <laughs> I'm an expert on that. <laughs> yeah. I, can t- I can tell you no. <laughs> Can yeah, you, do you have think... alcohol and cannabis in the same Marcus? <laughs> <laughs> yes, yes, uh, currently. <laughs> Did an open mic at 3 o'clock. I am tipsy. Uh. See, so listeners uh, might not know that Oregon has a pretty strict, like some states have liquor commissions, some don't, and Oregon's is a pretty draconian one from what I understand compared to the rest of the country, right? Yeah. And there isn't an equivalent body for cannabis yet. So cannabis regulation is under the Liquor Control Commission. Oh, it is? Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But do you see them spinning off some entirely new commission just for that? Or is it just going to stay under the liquor? Probably not. Yeah, it'll probably stay under OLCC, Oregon Liquor. Just like one commission commission to cover all the fun shit. Exactly. (laughs) Yeah, all the vices. And have there been attempts to get the OLCC disbanded, haven't there, altogether? That I don't know. Okay, maybe that's a few years back I thought I heard that. Is that a thing people have heard about? Happening. They're the fucking mafia. It really is a pretty strange. Yeah, yeah. I'm sure things would be better here without that. But I really, I don't. The only thing I know it makes it do is make sure bars have good food in Portland. That's the yes. one. That's the one that good thing. That is a huge perk coming yeah. from New York. We're like, oh my no. Um, there, there's like amazing bar food here. It's crazy. Yeah, yeah. LA is shit for food after 10 o'clock because everyone's paleo and like watching their but like yeah you get 1am pork sliders in every bar in town here yep. it's the best I fuck yeah it. yeah that's the only thing that OFC ever did was good but yeah I'm, I like getting shepherd's pie at 1 o'clock in the morning <laughs> it's pretty goddamn cool so what would you like to see happen with regards to medical research mm. in the weed world 
Yeah, so I just had a meeting last week with a new research institution coming out of Israel, which I'm really excited. So I'm excited to see the way in which we optimize compounds to encourage the entourage effect um, with like really just smart plant-based medicine. I also want to see that coupled with like aggregate anecdotal data so that we can have both the scientific evidence that we've researched in the lab on the compounds and then also like this aggregate of user experience to say, well, most people, 95% of people felt um, anti-anxiety symptom with neurolidol, which is a terpene. Um, And so this will most likely make you feel that way when combined with other compounds, et cetera. Yeah. A lot of those things are quite hard to research in general anyway, when it's people reporting their own personal moods and experiences, right? That's Mm -hmm. even in sort of conventional psychological medicine that's very it's very hard to go like well you can vaguely quantify when things like depression and happiness and sadness but they're not quantifiable in the same way you can quantify like tumor size or temperature or right yeah yeah and that's that's where it will always be personalized but i love that i mean i think that that kind of breaks the the like typical western healthcare. um way that we think about health and wellness in general, mm-hmm. where we move into a more kind of personalized, holistic medicine, where each person has their agency over their own health and wellness. They have to take charge of their experience and, and own it. And I think that that is really cool, considering how broken the kind of allopathic Western healthcare approach is. What is, I haven't heard allopathic as a term. What is so that? allopathic medicine is the idea that you take a pill and it produces a set of effects. Mm-hmm. Um, and then you take another pill to manage the negative side effects. And then another pill and another pill and another pill. Um, whereas kind of like the holistic folk plant medicine is we're going to really treat the cause. We're not trying to cover up symptoms. Mm-hmm. We, we are a science podcast and we have spent way too many episodes now uh, debunking Gwyneth Paltrow's bullshit. Oh my god, goop? <laughs> yeah. Goop. If you listen to our Australia shows, it was yeah. mostly goop talk. Um, I say, yeah, I have mostly heard those words in connection with what then is followed by something very unscientific. Oh god. That's why, yeah, holistic sets off, like, it's not homeopathic. Homeopathic is complete bullshit, as we talked about. That's the thing where the smaller the concentration of a thing, Homeopathy more... is a very specific branch of right. fake medicine. Yeah, you take those little beads... You, they're like little white beads that taste like sugar, and they're supposed to like make you go to sleep or whatever. My mom That's did a lot of that stuff. Yeah, homeopathy is a very specific branch of pseudoscience medicine, which yeah. is based on a couple of wrong principles. One of which is that like cures like. So, and the other one is that the lower the concentration, the more potent it becomes. Which is so, so insane. How would you have come up yeah, with that? It's- so they basically test various compounds and go like, oh, if you have a lot of this, it makes them, gives you nausea, or, or take lots of this and it, um, and it makes your head hurt or whatever. Therefore, if you have a headache, you take a homeopathic dose of this thing and it'll go away. It's utter bullshit. Right. It's, it's, it was but, but, invented in France in the 1800s and just by a con artist and has somehow propagated into this multi-billion industry. But holistic is not the same. So define holistic if you can yes so holistic is looking just at the whole picture so instead of just looking at a physical symptom and treating it with a compound you are looking at uh, the emotional mental physical health of the human and saying okay how do we 
how do we make you healthy um, by looking at each part of the whole? So if we use cannabis, if we're integrating cannabis into the lifestyle, maybe to help with anxiety or depression, well, if you are stressed out because you're fighting with your partner, cannabis is not going to clear that up for you, right? So we need to then look at like targeting that as well. And so it's just for me, I mean, somebody who's studied medicinal plant research and ethnobotany, which is the way in which indigenous peoples use medicinal plants, it makes sense to look at every single part of the whole that monitors health. Totally agree that like a lot of the health and wellness industry is like bullshit. It's like when avocado toast was like, ooh, that's gonna be the thing that cures you, you know, saves you from yourself. Um, it's, pretty, it's pretty good. <laughs> yeah, it's good, but it only really saves you from like early morning hunger. Right, yeah. right, <laughs> exactly, exactly. And it saves you from being able to afford a mortgage, according to that one article. <laughs> so yeah, just looking at all, all parts of health in order to, um, create a, a healthier human. Right, but not denying that things should be testable and repeatable if we're saying they do Absolutely, right. and also yeah. not denying that Western medicine is good. Like if you are having heart palpitations, please go see a doctor. <laughs> like do not like rub on some kind of topical or like take a little homeopathic bead and think that you're gonna be okay, right? And don't That's let CBD oil replace an oncologist. Right, exactly, exactly. Yeah, keep your chakras aligned. Get, get some Vaseline for that third eye. <laughs> <laughs> Got that on record. Right. <laughs> I think our time is getting close to being up here, but um, where can our listeners find out more about each of you and, and see your work? So I am pretty much all over the internet. Um, You can find me at um, my company's website, eminentconsultingfirm.com. Find me at my personal website, emmachason.com, on Instagram, on LinkedIn, on Facebook. Feel free to Google me. Awesome. Emma Chason. Marcus Coleman. It's my first time getting to say this because I made it a couple of weeks ago. I have a website. (laughs) Yeah. Shit costs $136. It's all good. MarcusColemanComedy.com. Follow me on Instagram, same name, uh, Twitter. Uh, follow me on there, and come see my show every single Wednesday in North Portland. Every single Wednesday, the Pizza Gang. We're, we're, it's very fun. It's uh, me, Adam Posse, Shane, Brendan. It's a good time. Come check us out. Do we have Real time Wednesday. to ask if any audience members have any quick questions? Oh, I think Forever. so. We don't have a hard out. It's less exactly, do we? Do, does anyone in the audience have? We should have. I'll repeat it into the mic because it's. Uh, if you ask your question, I'll repeat it into this so the listeners at home can hear. How would you feel about telling somebody to go smoke it when you think about the consequences of smoking in your health? Like, what is the end result of you find this is a substance this specific So the question, just for listeners at home, was about the ethics of the dangers of smoking offsetting the benefits of some of the compounds for whatever your medical situation is. Mm. So we would still want to look at inhalation if um, the person wanted an immediate onset of effects. 
And there we would go for something like a dry herb vaporizer. So move to vaporization instead of smoking because of the carcinogenic byproducts. If the person um, wanted an immediate onset of effects but was willing to do some kind of oral ingestion, then I would recommend something like a tincture. So where the compounds in the plant matter are suspended in either alcohol or some type of oil. And there uh, you just put it under your tongue and let it absorb submucosally. So the compounds are bypassing your digestion, going straight into the bloodstream. You still get the immediate onset of effects, but you don't have any smoke or even vapor if we're dealing with somebody who has lung issues or, or doesn't want to smoke. But presumably any, anything that has a medicinal effect on the body also has the potential to have negative medicinal effects and byproducts and long-term effects that we might not even know. Absolutely, yeah. And that also brings up an important point that we cannot make claims at all. So because we're still in a very nation industry, because everybody responds differently, it will always have to be in the conditional language of this could help you out in this way. This may help you out in this way. Right. Um, but there's no kind of like this will cure. And part of the problem of the illegality is that it makes it really hard to actually quantify and track those things and know what the long-term benefits and long-term negative effects are. Exactly. Yes. Uh, and follow up, I, I forgot to ask, um, is it true that, I mean, it certainly seems to be true from my friend's stories about it, um, that edibles stain your system for much longer than smoked pot. What causes that, or is that actually? Mm, yes. So when we ingest cannabis, um, because it is... Uh, typically suspended in something that is a fat, it goes through what's called first pass metabolism. So it goes through our liver to get processed. When THC goes through our liver, it actually changes its molecular structure to become a much smaller compound called 11-hydroxy-THC. And that compound, because it's smaller, can pass through our blood-brain barrier much more efficiently into our brain. It also much more efficiently binds to our CB1 receptors, which modulate for psychotropic activity or the high. And so you can have a, you will have a delayed onset of effects because of that process but then once the 11 hydroxy enters into your brain it can be a lot stronger for a lot longer than the delta 9 when you smoke and inhale so that's, that is real okay yeah, time question. one last question yeah um one of the I think, hesitancies of its legalization has been the inability to tell a person is experiencing psychoactive you know symptoms at a specific moment do you know of any tests or new techniques that are on the market that we will tell if someone is high so the question again. The question was about whether there's any specific test that can tell whether someone is high right now, rather than just has the chemicals in this, the compounds in their system. Yes. So that has been a hindrance to like developing social consumption legislation because there's no way right now to really tell if you got pulled over by a cop if um, if you were high in the moment or you had smoked a week ago. There was an app, I believe, that was developed, um, I think it came out of Australia, actually. I may be wrong on that, but there has been an app that was developed that um, you could theoretically take to determine um, if you are high in the moment. You have to like go through a variety of tests on this app. I don't know how effective um, it is or how, like, yeah, I don't know how effective it is, um, but right now there's not really a great way to test if people are high in the moment, if they have THC because they just smoked it at a party, or if they have THC in their system because they smoked it a week ago. I did not know there was no way for police to know that. That's interesting. Yeah, they typically take people through like the, the alcohol tests, like yeah. walking a straight line, alphabet backwards, but I mean, it's it, we know being high is a lot different than being mm -hmm. drunk. Right. And also yeah. those tests are 
pseudo-scientific at best as well. Yes. People, there are people who can't tell you the alphabet backwards, stone cold sober, and there are people who can do it with seven points in them. I memorized it at some point, but not because I intend to get pulled over. I just thought it'd be good to know Z-Y-X-W-B-U-T-S-R-Q-P-O-M-M-L-K-G-I-H-G-F-E-D-C-B-A. Nobody's accusing you of being drunk, Andy. <laughs> Jesus. It's like, I can do it. I swear I can do it. I can do it. I swear to God. Swear to God. <laughs> no, it wasn't until this very moment, but uh, for the listeners at home, Andy is now standing on one foot and uh, alternately touching his to- nose with his... Yeah. Were there any more questions out there? Oh, we got a bunch more. Um, so you debunked the sort of sativa versus indica myth, and there's a lot of talk about head high versus body high. And I'm a person who head high is terrible, but I don't know that body high is a real thing. It sounds very appealing to me, so I'm curious to know if there's actual science there. If there's so the question was if there's any truth or science behind the idea of head high versus body high, and particularly if you're someone who doesn't like to be head high but might want the other mm. effects. So I would suggest to stay away from a compound called terpenaline. And you can detect it um, by the smell. It smells like pine salt, exactly like pine salt, which is a really appealing smell. But the experience for many is horrifying. Um, And it is the kind of like trapped inside your head, ping pong thoughts that turn into spirals that never end. And so I would stay away from that. If you want something that's more of a body high, look to something that maybe has a mixed ratio of THC to CBD in relatively low concentration, like 10% of each. And then with a terpene called beta-caryophyllene. Beta-caryophyllene is found in black pepper and clove, and it binds to our second cannabinoid receptors, which are all over our body, not so much in our brain and it does give an actual like really nice muscle relaxation um relaxed body high cool i think we've got time for one last question if uh sorry yes over there uh, so the optimistic five-year plan that you saw for uh, the weed industry uh, i'm i've heard some rumblings wondering if you've heard the same if we do decriminalize or you know pass legislation for recreational marijuana on the federal level, if there is any concern for homogenizing the strains and you know potentially kind of the, the crafts going away, going out of business, so sort of having like the Nestle of weed. Uh-huh. Um, is that something that you've heard? So the question was about whether if it does become legal at the federal level and becomes countrywide, presumably if the big corporations swapping in, if that would lead to the sort of destruction of the nuanced craft aspect to it and the more homogenized... Everyone smokes the Bud Light of pot across the whole country, basically. So that is already happening, in a sense. Um, We are already seeing a huge acquisition and kind of like corporate takeover. My prediction is that it, that will be 90% of the industry, just like any other industry in America, where almost all of the companies are controlled by five big corporations. Um, I do think that we will hopefully retain a 10% craft stronghold, but we need to um, we need to support that industry. And that's where, I mean, you as consumers have the biggest power. This market right now is driven by what the consumer wants. So ask where your weed is coming from who is growing it um because that even even with like alcohol for example you the number of times i found out that this microbrewery is actually owned by 
Budweiser, basically. Right, exactly. So really investigate the source. Where is it coming from? Is it a mom and pop um, grow out of Southern Oregon that has been around for 20 years? Are they using organic, craft, clean, sustainable practices? Um, Because that buying power holds, and it will ultimately determine where the industry goes in the next five years. Cool. Uh, I think we should wrap this up now. Thank you so much, yeah, both of you, for joining. And, and also, thank you, Listen Up Portland, and everyone who made this thing work yeah. in the first year. Thank you, The Commune, is hosting this. Everyone should come check this out when they're in town. Um, yeah, it's been a delight, as it always is, to be in Portland. Thank you guys for coming out. Let's hear it one more time for Marcus Coleman and Emma Chasen. Give it up. Thank you so much.